I'm here today with Lisa K. Swallow. Lisa is the co-founder and executive director of Crossing Party Lines, a national nonprofit that creates open dialogue between Americans with dissimilar ideologies in order to increase tolerance, build communities, and encourage civic engagement. She's an advisor for America Talks and a member of the Alliance for Peacebuilding. She has developed a series of workshops teaching the concepts, skills, and techniques for having civil, respectful conversations with people who view the world differently and currently offers coaching and training for difficult conversations. She's also authored dozens of articles and posts, multiple papers in the field of communication, and holds a patent in microlithography. Her artwork is in the permanent collection of the Smithsonian Institute, and her short stories have appeared in multiple anthologies. And if that's not enough, she is also the author of two books that we'd like to talk about. The first is titled, Yes, You Can Talk Politics, a workbook for talking across party lines. And the second book is, No One Was Listening. So you can learn more about Lisa at lisakswallow.com. So Lisa, my goodness, congratulations on all you've accomplished. And uh, thanks so much for joining us and for doing all the work that you do. Thank you. And thanks for having me here. So um, before we talk about the books, I've got to, you know, ask you about your background. Um, you know, lithography, Smithsonian. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, a few different aspects of things you've done? Um, sure. So I'm one of those people who loves to learn. If there's any topic, um, I want to learn about it. I, I'm, I'm actually better and more happy when I am learning than when I become an expert at something. So give me something new and, I, and I'll dive into it. So I have, I've been excited about learning how computers work, how we design them, you know, down to the bit and byte level. Um, I've been excited to learn about how people connect with one another. So I got trained in nonviolent communication and um, neuro-linguistic programming. So anything and everything just really excites me. Um, and then when around 2016, we started having some real challenges talking to one another, I saw that as something I could dive into. I could try to figure out what was going on and, and bring all of my, my years of research and understanding difficult problems to this particular one. Well, thank goodness for that, because this is certainly one of the most intractable areas I've ever seen. And I worked in high tech, as we talked about, too, quite a bit and had some pretty serious problems that we tried to solve there, but um, this is tougher, quite frankly, than um, something that's math and science oriented. Um, so, um, but let's get into crossing party lines. Talk, if you could, about um, how that organization started and uh, what the nature of it is today. Yeah. Well, I started it because I had been doing my research into why is it so difficult to connect? And specifically, I'd started with my cousin. He, he and I grew up together. Um, diff, he was in Southern California. I was in Northern California, but we would spend much of our summers together. So when we were adults and we started talking politics and I discovered that his views were about as far from mine as you could get, I was really taken aback and got curious and tried to figure out why that was. So um, I had just retired from high tech and I had some time on my hands. So I decided to start researching this. And I started with an assumption which was, oh, it's just the media. You know, he watches Fox News and I listen to PBS. And I decided that that's where we would start, but I learned it wasn't the media. And so then I started to explore it from lots of different angles. 
and discovered that um, humans are not built to all be the same, which was, you know, that's obvious, but we don't think about that very often. We tend to think that, well, if someone um, has all the same facts I do, they're going to see the issues the same way I do. Well, it turns out that's not really the same, not really true, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, but then I discovered that knowing how we're different, why we're different, still didn't help us talk. And I started looking more into the psychological aspects of it. Um, what, what does it mean to be heard? How do we really listen? And that drove me into looking about um, what is active listening? And then how do we stay focused when we're talking to someone whose views are different than our own and we want to argue rather than listen? How can we, how can we keep ourselves in, in check and truly do the listening? So about September of 2016, I had figured out a way that worked with my cousin, and I wanted to see if it would work with other people. So I started a meetup in Portland, and that's mm. it was crossing party lines, just to see who's interested and would they will be willing to try what I developed, and I could test it out on them. Turned out there's a lot of interest, and it did work, and people helped me evolve my process and, and we co-created co what Crossing Party Lines is today. Meanwhile, um, a gentleman in New York City had the idea of getting people together to talk about differences. And he also started a meetup group called Crossing Party Lines. So we got together, discovered that we had a very common vision and we joined forces and created a nonprofit and started expanding into other cities and states around the country. So now we're in nine states. Um, we're planning to expand. Um, I will say the pandemic kind of took us on a detour and um, we become all virtual and now we're having to get back to the local and in-person meetings and that's a, a bit of a lift for us. But um, yeah, we've got, we've got 10 different chapters. We have weekly conversations where people from all around the country and sometimes around the world come and join us to have these conversations. And um, the process is expanded into now seven different workshops on different wow. aspects of talking about differences. Wow. Um, and our focus has always been on individuals, helping people learn to talk with one another and build community and sustain relationships despite differences in political views. We're not focused on, um, on politicians or making a difference in the political arenas so much as empowering people to have a voice and mm -hmm. learn how to make that voice heard. Well, I think it's such incredibly important work, you know, given the polarization and the other difficulties, you know, in our country. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned co uh, conversations and you mentioned workshops. Those are two different things, I assume, correct? They are, yeah. And so how do, how do they work? I mean, um, just pick an online version if you want to or what have you. Um, so we, what I've learned is talking with someone whose views are different than us takes some specific skills. But not everyone wants to take classes in this. Not everyone buys into that at first. So um, my interpretation is you think in terms of the horse and the cart. The horse are the skills that are pulling us along. The cart is the important stuff understanding the issues, exploring those issues from lots of different angles. And some people want to start with the cart. They say, hey, I, I just want to come and I want to talk to someone. I've got no one in my life that I can talk to that has a different view than my own. So I, I really want those conversations. So 
we offer those. And when people come to a conversation, they start to learn that we talk politics differently than they're used to. Hmm. We don't invite them to debate. We invite them to listen. We invite them to share why their views make sense to them. And it becomes a really different experience for them. So they start learning the skills organically, the way we learn to walk or the way we learn to speak a new language. Um, and, and it takes a while for them to learn that way. But then they start getting curious about, well, if I really wanted to get serious on this active listening stuff, or I want to get better at presenting my views, I don't feel like I do a good enough job, then they take the workshops mm. or I teach them how to do that. And then they can focus in it. So I think in terms of skills need to be practiced to be mastered. So we offer the skills, we offer the opportunity to practice. And those conversations are both that practice place and the entry point. And also a place that a lot of people come to really understand the issues of the day because they're real topics that we're talking about, current events and um, big issues. Well, um, as part of our How to Heal Our Divides effort, you know, I've been looking for organizations like yours, and I wish I would have, you know, learned about yours earlier, but um, there are a couple of others that um, are somewhat similar in nature that have been part of either our first or our second um, books. One is called Three Practices, and the other one is called Braver Angels, and I wanted if you could... I'm not, this is not a competition, you know, yeah, in yeah. any stretch of the imagination, but I'd love for you to just, you know, um, just talk about how crossing party lines is unique. Sure. Now I don't know about three practices and once we're off this call, I'm going to look them up. It sounds interesting. <laughs> I do know about Braver Angels. A lot of our volunteers work for both Braver Angels and us. Um, they do a fabulous job exposing people to the possibility of talking across differences um, get people curious about other people's views, things like that. They have a few um, skills trainings, but um, their focus is more on big events. You know, we'll, we'll teach how to fish and then set you free and hope you have asked, actually mastered it. We, um, from my personal experience, I found that a class doesn't teach you how to fish. You know, it might teach you where the fishing pole is and where to put the bait, but in order to learn how to fish, you need to sort of practice and you need to get comfortable reading the water and you need to know that the time of day matters, right? Fishing takes um, practice and developing that skills toward the skills towards mastery. So I think of Braver Angels as putting people on the right path for coming to us so that we can not only hone those skills, take them from that high level introduction that Braver Angels teaches in their, their classes bring them down to specific actionable steps and then give them an opportunity to practice and hone mm. those skills. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that, that's very helpful uh, for me to understand, you know, kind of the, the different areas of focus that you all have. So let's get into the books. The first one, as I mentioned, is called Yes, You Can Talk Politics, a workbook for talking across party lines. What motivated you to come out with that book? Well, every time I would do the workshop, people will say, hey, can I have, um, can I have a PDF of your slides? <laughs> and um, on the one hand, I wanted to say yes, but I knew that the slides were only half of the, the learning experience. So much of the experience also comes from the questions that people ask, um, hearing the real-time answers, adding nuance to the slides. So I wanted to be able to hand them something and I put together the workbook 
It t- so it, it follows the workshops, but it has a lot of activities and extra information to fill in those things that would come organically when folks are asking questions and um, sharing their, their problems with the new skills. And, you know, I, 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 so when you're talking to people about listening, one of the things that often comes up is, well, I'm tired of listening. I want them to listen to me. So then I would talk to them about why listening is so important and so powerful. And that wasn't in the slides. So I had to find a way mm. to put mm. that in the workbook. So it's, um, it's standalone. You don't need to have other people asking questions for you. So um, the book is 325 pages long, right? Which is more than I typically expect in a workbook. So this sounds like it's got some depth to it, not just, you know, superficial. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It also has a lot of activities. It's got almost 100 activities. In each. I also did big font because when you're in a workbook, you don't want to strain your eyes. You want all your energy going to, to the thought processes. Um, so I like to think about it as more like 180 pages with, with, with um, activities. Okay. Um, but this is not an easy problem. So when you simplify it down to, oh, I'm just going to teach you active listening or this or that, it, it doesn't really empower you to, to do the work. You need to understand what are you going to bump into that's going to cause problems. So the workbook was initially the, the basic skills. So there are five workshops I consider basic. Um, but then I realized that when you're teaching those, people run into things like prejudice and bias and um, judgments around the other person. And I needed to write something to help them. If you're learning these skills and you bump into these, there's a lot more you need to start exploring in terms of looking at yourself and your attitude. So I had to tack on a couple more sections to it to explore those things. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. So um, one of the things that you make clear in the book is that this is not about debate. Um, And so can you talk a little bit about why that's, the focus you're avoiding, so to speak, or moving away from? Yeah. Well, the thing about debate is it assumes that everything's all logical and reasonable. So if I can share with you everything that I know, so um, then you're going to agree with me. I'm going to just be able to prove that my position is logically the right one. The assumption is that if you knew what I knew, you'd agree with me. So I'm just going to keep giving you more of those facts and you're going to eventually agree with me. But that's not really true. So one thing we know is no one can know exactly what you do. If they get all the facts you give them, it's still not all the facts that you have. They also have their own facts. We also know that people interpret facts differently. Um, We don't always use the same logic. We're not always solving the same problem. And we're not even trying to address the needs of the same group of people. So the idea of debate is, um, it's really nice in an academic setting, but it doesn't get us to where we understand one another and start solving our problems collaboratively. And so, I mean, obviously this is a very, very difficult area. Is there a way that you've been able to measure results of your work? Um, we don't have a great measurement tool. What we do is we've often done surveys, pre and post surveys, where we find out, did people feel like they learned something? Are they looking at the issue from a new, more nuanced perspective? Did they make friends with people who they would have thought um, 
they had nothing in common with before. So it, it's really um, more qualitative metrics that we have. Um, and I'm not sure that there's any way to do it differently right now. Yeah, honestly. me neither. I don't have any suggestions. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, you know, we all feel like this is, these are things that we need to do. But yeah. then, you know, you still have to ask yourself, well, is it making any difference? Right. You know, I mean, and I, I feel confident that that's the case, but I don't know that that, you know. Yeah, well, you know, you have to ask yourself, what is what does it mean to make a difference? So if we're looking at that global scale, does my looking at things from multiple angles change who gets elected? Probably not. But let's get down to that granular level on a personal level. One of the most common things people report to me is they feel safer, less anxious, hmm. more comfortable in the world today because they know the folks on the other side are not necessarily bad guys. They recognize that, oh, wow, they're humans like I am. They're concerned about America. They care about where we're going as a country. So now I feel more safe. We also see that um, relationships start to heal. So on a personal level, an interpersonal <clears throat> level, it's obviously making a difference. And most of our members believe that this can become um, something that grows and builds. So we start with a few people knowing how to talk to one another, and then more people, and then more people. And eventually it will impact what happens on that local or state or federal level in terms of voting. Um, not yet, but eventually it will. Um, they also feel that it, it helps them to look more um, with more of an open mind at how we run our government. So one of the things that comes up a lot is people start have in, in our organization often say that they're not really pleased with a two-party system. And they've been curious about why do we have a two-party system in the first place? It is not built into the constitution. And so we've looked at um, how do we vote? How do we count our votes? And so a number of our people have, have started looking into how to get things like um, ranked choice voting enacted so that we have more parties representing more people. And we as an organization aren't standing behind anything. We are apolitical, but we see there's a trend that our members are trying to um, not just be more informed voters, but have a say in how, how we count the vote and how we are represented. Well, you know, I agree with you that this whole thing has to be a grassroots, you know, effort. It starts with the individuals, right? And, yeah. and, and, and clearly the results that you described have had an impact, I think, in decreasing polarization, right? Which, you know, as we were kind of talking at the beginning is one of the symptoms, the visible, you know, aspects of this intractable problem. So congratulations on that. <laughs> Um, so let's get into the second book. That one's much different than the first. It's called No One Was Listening. What wrote, What led you to write that one? Oh, um, I started out, uh, you know, I come from high tech. I'm pretty logical and reasonable, I think. Um, but I, what I discovered when I went into this project, there was a lot of emotionality. I had to do a lot of personal growth. I had to confront my fears. I basically went on a journey, a really challenging journey. And as I was going through it and watching how all of my friends reacted to it, 
I saw that people were afraid to step into this, afraid to learn to talk across differences because um, so many things would come up for them. And I wanted to be able to present my journey so that they could know they could take that journey too. Hmm. Um, I also wanted to say, look, it's not going to be easy. Here's, here's all the challenges I faced, personal, um, interpersonal, you name it. It, it was scary. Um, but I came out at the other end feeling stronger and, and more alive and more participatory. So I wanted to say, take the journey. Yeah, it's a little scary, but he, here's proof that it can be done. So that's why I decided to give that memoir aspect to it. Wow. Wow. Well, can you share a little bit about what some of the most difficult aspects of that journey were like? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the most difficult for me was realizing I wasn't who I thought I was. Wow. So, yeah, when I when I started this, I just assumed, you know, I'm a good communicator. I've made my living through communication and I'm a loving partner and, and I'm a good critical thinker. What I discovered was that in personal life, in political conversations, out, so outside of the corporate world, I tended to be operating on autopilot. And that meant that I wasn't really listening Um I wasn't really seeing my partner as someone different from me who had different needs and concerns. And I wasn't even looking at politics rationally. I was, you know, I was absorbing what was coming in around me. And that was what I based my views on. So when I discovered that here, all these things I thought I was good at, I, I wasn't, I felt a lot of emotional distress. Some of it was shame, a lot of self-judgment, even some grief that of all this, these years that I'd missed opportunities to connect and be with on this deeper level. So um, that was hard. There were times I kind of wanted to give up, but I realized I couldn't unlearn <laughs> that I wasn't who I thought I was. And I did not want to be that person anymore. Wow. So I kept going. What a transformation. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's changed my life so much. Huh. Goodness. So looking forward, I mean, are there any additional books that you're thinking about? Yeah, the one I'm excited to write about, um, I'm calling it in my mind, it's called The Logic of Politics. But on the cover, in front of logic is one of these things that point you up and says the illogic of politics. <laughs> and what I want to do is I want to go through um, the historical records and look at um, a lot of the political um, slogans and speeches and things like that from about 100 years ago and look for what kinds of false equivalents do they use. So I'm looking at um, logical fallacies. I'm looking at biases that in reporting and in presenting information. And then I want to say this is what's been, this was happening 100 years ago. And then I want to dive into what's happening today. And here's examples of those same um, let's call them mental shortcuts that we use to keep us from being logical and critical mm -hmm. thinkers. Mm -hmm. um, it's happening today. And so giving them names, giving them examples, I think will help people recognize when, um, when reporting is biased or when they're buying into something like a slippery slope logic. Um, there's a little bit of that in the workbook where I say, you know, it's faulty logic if, it's good logic if that. Um, but I want to go a lot deeper into that and empower people to, just approach politics with a more critical eye. Wow. That sounds excellent. Please uh, keep us posted on that. I will. 
<laughs> and then what about uh, for crossing party lines? What are the next uh, parts of that agenda? We are embarking on a new project which has to do with how to bring more liberals, excuse me, more conservatives, especially in rural parts of America, into the conversations. They have been overlooked for a long time. Um, from all of my interactions with folks in the rural areas, they are feeling not just misrepresented or underrepresented, they're also feeling as though no one truly wants to listen to them. So they're feeling somewhat hopeless. So we are trying to figure out how to um, bring more of those folks into the conversations, and we're doing it in a very scientific way. So we're going to mm -hmm. be doing a lot of analysis. We'll be doing multiple pilot programs that we can you know, see how is it different in Montana, from rural California, from eastern Oregon, or Kansas, right? Um, so what is it that um, will encourage people to want to join this conversation and empower them to, to be part of the Crossing Party Lines community? Hmm, interesting. So having myself participated in the communications technology business most of my life and seeing a couple of different incarnations of video phones, for instance, um, back in the 60s and another incarnation in the 90s. And now finally having something like what we're using right now, right, Zoom. Um, do you think that this technology will help um, bridge the gap between the geography uh, barriers that we have? As, 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 as you mentioned, there's just a lot of rural parts of the country that physically are quite far apart, you know, from California or New York or whatever. Um, can this help? Yes, definitely. So one thing we know about folks in the rural areas, they've got cell phones, they've got computers, they can take advantage of this technology. The challenge is more um, how do we reach them and convince them that they want to use their time, which is mm -hmm. precious. You know, if you're running a farm, you are, you are not doing a nine to five job. You are working from sunup to sundown. So how do we get them to want to invest the time and the energy and take that scary step of being vulnerable um, to use the technology that we've got? So our focus is more on connecting with the people. And um, so it's, it's more like marketing. Hmm. But in those rural communities, they are not as susceptible to the Internet marketing or, you know, or using social media, there's still a lot that happens on the ground, you know, in the local feed store, in the bar, or at church. So we need to connect with them on that non-low-tech level. And then they have the technology, they just, you know, then they'll want to use it and connect with others. We also see um, the need for them to stay local. They're very, they tend to be more local focused. So we want to empower them to be working on the local issues together and dealing with the differences there. They may not, there might not be as many differences in political parties. Who knows? Um, you know, every town is different, but there's certainly um, discussions around, is this good for us or that? And how do we deal with water rights or wolves or, or whatever that might be? So we want them to empower them to have those local conversations, but we also want to pair them up with, um, um, more liberal urban now assuming assuming they're rural the rural and conservative go hand in hand which i don't really like to make that assumption but but we'll pair them up with another chapter 
that they can then use the technology to have to build relationships with and explore the other issues with someone whose views are even more different than the ones in their chapter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, as a person who does a lot of online marketing, you know, there's a certain segment of the country or segment of the population that a lot of marketing people call unreachable, yeah. <laughs> right? Is this what you're describing? How, how then, I mean, how do you actually reach them? <laughs> right. Um, and we're trying to figure that out. And we'll be working with churches. We'll be getting some people on the ground to say, how do you identify who are the influencers in this particular town? Um, and it's not going to be the same every time, but we do hope to see some patterns. And once we identify those patterns, we want to create a playbook for all bridging organizations to say, you know, start here, try this, 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 and this. Mm. Um, I think it's, you know, like any grassroots effort, I think once we gain traction, it's going to start coming e more easily. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it does start with um, knowing who you're working with and how do they learn from one, one another and connect with one another. Wow. Well, good for you. Uh, difficult work, but uh, you're really attacking it, I think, incredibly smartly. So thank you. I'm very, very glad to hear that. So as I mentioned, the titles of the two books are Yes, You Can Talk Politics, a workbook for talking across party lines, and the memoir is No One Was Listening. So um, Lisa, again, thank you so much for all of this amazing work. Uh, and you can learn more about Lisa's work at lisakswallow.com. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us. Brian, thank you. Thanks for doing the podcast. Thank you for the books. Um, we're all in this together, and I like having you on our side. Yeah, well, thank you so much.